What's up, everyone? I'm Joe Pompliano, and this is The Joe Pomp Show. Jim Harbaugh and the Michigan Wolverines football team are 8-0. They have the number one scoring defense and number 10 scoring offense in the country. They're outscoring opponents 325-47 to through eight games. They haven't played a game closer than 24 points, and they currently have the best odds to win the college football playoff national championship at plus 225. That's ahead of Georgia, Florida State, Ohio State, and everyone else. But there is a black cloud hanging over their season because Michigan is now being investigated for running an illegal sign-sealing operation that could potentially date back to 2021. So today's podcast is going to run through all of the details, including what the allegations actually entail, how much evidence has already been compiled, the potential penalties from the NCAA, Jim Harbaugh's future at Michigan in the NFL, and much more. Let's get right into it. Okay, so the easiest way to explain the whole Michigan sign-stealing scandal is that there's this low-level Michigan coach named Connor Stallions. And essentially what Connor was doing was traveling to games or paying people to travel to different games around the country to scout future opponents that were going to be playing the Michigan football team. Again, this guy's name is Connor Stallions. I'm not doxing him at all. All of this information is public knowledge at this point. You can read about it online. I'm simply going to provide you guys with a little bit of background before we dig into the details of what I actually think is going to happen. So like I said, Connor Stallions, he joined the Michigan football coaching staff in 2022 after graduating from the Naval Academy in 2017 and serving in the U.S. Marine Corps from 2017 to 2022. Now, the easiest way to think about Connor Stallions is that he's a low-level recruiting analyst at Michigan. On his bio at Michigan, he said that he specialized in analytics and his salary is public. He was making $55,000 a year. His LinkedIn is also quite funny. There's this part where he talks about basically deploying military tactics. He says, and I quote, he identifies the opponent's most likely course of action and most dangerous course of action. And he identifies and exploits critical vulnerabilities and centers of gravity in the opponent's scouting process. His LinkedIn profile also said, I focus on using my experience to employ Marine Corps philosophies and tactics into the sport of football regarding strategies in staffing, recruiting, scouting, intelligence, planning, and more. But Connor Stallion's job ended up being much more complex than your typical run-of-the-mill, low-level recruiting analyst at a major college football program. And I'll explain. So the first story was reported by Yahoo Sports. I want to make sure I give them credit. They were certainly first. But there's been a bunch of follow-on stories from this, including Sports Illustrated, The Athletic, and maybe most importantly, the Washington Post. On the 25th of October, the Washington Post came out with an explosive report that essentially had all the details going back to how this actually started. And essentially what happened is an outside investigative firm approached the NCAA with documents and video evidence of a sign-stealing scheme from a computer accessed by multiple Michigan football coaches that the firm, the investigative firm, had in its possession. Now, it's unclear who hired the investigative firm to dig into this stuff and approach the NCAA with evidence. It's being rumored that it was other college football programs that might have been upset with what Michigan was doing. But this investigative firm supposedly and reportedly gave evidence to the NCAA that includes Connor Stallions essentially being the spearhead of a huge sign-stealing program that Michigan had planned to spend more than $15,000 to send scouts to more than 40 college football games over the last few years. So essentially what they were doing, and a lot of this stuff can be tracked and traced through his Venmo account. He didn't delete it immediately and a bunch of people went through it. And essentially what was happening was he was buying tickets on the secondary market and then sending them to other people and paying them to go to these games. And they were recording the sidelines with their phones, trying to capture some of the signals 
that Connor Stallions could watch later on to potentially decipher the signals of these teams. This included games against Big Ten opponents like Ohio State, Penn State, Wisconsin, Iowa, Michigan State, Maryland, Minnesota, and Nebraska. And Michigan scouts are on camera at some of these stadiums recording the signals of future opponents on the sidelines. Now, the funniest part about this is that news also broke that Connor Stallions had purchased two tickets to, I believe it was the Ohio State-Penn State game, and he couldn't decide, obviously, which side of the stadium to sit on, so he bought both of them and was potentially going to sit on both sides of the stadium and try to record signals. So, look, this guy was making $55,000 a year. He's not spending $15,000 or potentially more than that on tickets and running this whole operation on his own. It's just not happening. Not only is it not happening because you couldn't afford to do it, but to get the clearance from the coaches, he would have to be able to do that because Connor Stallings has also been seen through photographic evidence and video evidence that people have now accessed in the past, standing next to coaches on the sideline, the offensive and defensive coordinators, and essentially telling them what he thought was going to be happening when the plays were coming up. So again, he would scout these games, he would get video evidence, he would try to decipher the opponent's hand signals, and then he would stand next to Michigan's offensive and defensive coordinator during games, alerting them when he knew, or thought he knew, the play that the other team was going to run. Now, there's this funny video that went online last week of the first drive during the Ohio State-Michigan game last year, and Stroud looks to the sideline, and he gets a new play call from the sideline. All of a sudden, all the Michigan players next to Connor Stallions alert the defense with their hands in the air saying, up, 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 presumably saying pass. It was a pass. They did end up scoring on the pass anyways, but the matter of fact that he knew that signal meant to pass is obviously something and some sort of evidence in and of itself. One Big Ten coach even told TCU, according to the report, before their matchup against Michigan in the college football playoff, he said that the school was running, and I quote, the most elaborate sign-stealing in the history of the world. The most elaborate signal-stealing in the history of the world. That's what the coach at TCU said about Michigan's sign-stealing program. Connor Stallions, I think it's also worth mentioning that he kept in this report a 600-page manifesto essentially detailing how he would run the Michigan program as head coach himself. It included a bunch of different things that he would want to employ in the team, a bunch of principals. It included contacts at other schools of coaches that might be interested in joining his staff if he was ever named head coach at Michigan. Obviously, this is a very far way off from a low-level recruiting analyst to head coach, but you get the point. He loved Michigan. He wanted to be a coach there, and he was willing, by many accounts, to do whatever it took. It also says that there are allegations against Michigan that include Stallions reportedly paying other people to attend the games and record them himself. Now, there's a few different reasons why this is important. I want to start off with the obvious. Hiring scouts and then attempting to steal signals is not illegal. Sign stealing happens all over college football. It happens in baseball. It happens in virtually every sport you could possibly imagine. And that's the reason why every school for several decades now has had at least three signal callers on the sideline. You'll see them. They stand next to each other. In some cases, sometimes they stand apart. But there's at least three people on the sidelines signaling plays to the offense or the defense during the game. Two of those signal callers are dummies, not in the sense that they're actually stupid, but they're not calling real plays. They're used as dummies to make sure the other team doesn't realize their signals. One of them is calling the legitimate signal. And teams, by all accounts, go to huge lengths to make sure the other teams do not figure out what is going on. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. This happens. But the accusations against Michigan are more serious in nature, primarily because of two reasons. Number one, off-campus, in-person scouting. So going to another school and scouting them in person of future opponents, people that you're going to be playing that season, is prohibited by the NCAA. We'll get to that in a second. But just know that off-campus, in-person scouting of future opponents, people that you're going to be playing in that same season, is prohibited. Number two, any attempt to record 
either through audio or video means, any signals given by an opposing player, coach, or other team personnel is prohibited. So not only can you not go to another stadium and scout them in person, but you cannot record them on video or audio, strictly prohibited by the NCAA. Now, again, I want to be super clear about this. If these accusations turn out to be true, it's certainly a big deal. There is no way, in my mind at least, that Jim Harbaugh didn't know about an elaborate sign sealing operation going on in his program. Jim Harbaugh is known to be meticulous and know that everything that is going on under his roof, that's literally his reputation, that he is meticulously detail-oriented and he knows everything that's going on. Now, it's important to note also that the investigative firm had no evidence that linked Jim Harbaugh to what is going on, and Jim Harbaugh has denied it, for sure. I want to be clear about that. But in my mind, this is something that the head coach of a program would absolutely know. I've talked to other people that have worked on college football staffs at big programs, and they say there is no way in hell the head coach does not know about something like this going on. Not only that players are, or low-level personnel are spending thousands of dollars on these trips, but that he's also standing next to the coaches. They had play sheets that were printed and laminated that were showing the signs of the other teams. There's no way that Harbaugh is just sitting there not knowing about any of this going on under his own nose. And also, you have to remember that if Harbaugh really didn't know, if it's true that he did not know, and he's accurate in saying that and being truthful, it was because he didn't want to know, which in my mind is just as bad and is which is just as bad probably to the NCAA as well. Now, the other thing to note is that this sign sealing process might have backfired at times. Ross Dellinger at Yahoo Sports reported that TCU knew about Michigan's sign sealing operation before their college football playoff matchup last year. If you remember, they played them to get to the national championship game. And TCU was reportedly alerted before the game that Michigan had their signs. TCU then used dummy signals throughout the game, essentially using old play calls that had since been switched, and they scored 51 points on Michigan, right? So even if Connor Stallion did spend weeks and thought he knew their signals, it could have backfired where they thought a pass was coming when it was really a run. Maybe they thought it was a reverse when it really wasn't, or vice versa, right? There's a bunch of different things that could have been included in on that. But TCU hung 51 points on Michigan and advanced to the college football playoff national championship game. Now, that's not to say that every school did that and didn't benefit Michigan to a large degree. But the other thing to keep in mind here is that these NCAA rules are outdated. I led with the fact that I want to be super clear that this is against the rules. If these accusations are true, Michigan is going to get in trouble. Jim Harbaugh is going to get in trouble. But I also want to keep in mind that these NCAA rules are outdated. That is a fact. For example, Sign stealing started to happen during the early 2000s. Sign stealing only really started to happen during the 2000s because teams started ditching the huddle. Everyone used to huddle like they do in the NFL. But then up-tempo offenses became a thing in the early 2000s for college football, and everyone started ditching the huddle and lining up and then looking to the sidelines, seeing what the defense was going to run, and then calling your play. The defense does the same thing, right? They line up, they see what the offense is doing, and then they change their play too. So this has been happening only really for the last couple of decades. But there's a rule that predates all of this, and that's important because off-campus, in-person scouting, the rule that I told you about earlier that Michigan violated potentially with these accusations, the off-campus in-person scouting for future opponents in the same season, that rule was implemented in 1994. And it's important that it was implemented in 1994 because it's really before all of the sign ceiling stuff really happened with the up-tempo offenses. And the reason I tell you this is because that rule wasn't implemented to stop sign ceiling. It was implemented because teams across college football had widely different budgets for their football team, and not every team could afford to send scouts on the road, and that created an unfair advantage, right? So think about this. In 1994, the NCAA is getting tasked with determining what's fair and what's not fair in a competitive standpoint. Teams like Michigan, who spends hundreds of millions of dollars or brings in hundreds of millions of dollars from their football program every single year, 
We're talking about the big dogs. We're talking about Michigan, Ohio State, Notre Dame, schools like Clemson, USC, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on. Those schools could send as many scouts on the road as they possibly wanted to. A $5,000 trip, a $10,000 trip. It meant nothing. They would go scout these teams and they could steal signs in person for sure. Absolutely. They could look at the field and determine it from there. But ultimately what it was, was they didn't want to be able to scout these teams in person. Eventually, obviously, video replay became a much bigger part of this and it was no longer necessary. But the reason why it was implemented in 1994 was to stop the scouting on the road. It wasn't due to sign stealing. And I have this quote here from Houston Nutt, who was the former Arkansas and Mississippi coach who worked under Jimmy Johnson at Oklahoma State. He said, when I worked under Jimmy Johnson at Oklahoma State, when they had a game on Saturday, I was at the next opponent. I was scouting the next game. So Houston Nutt literally wasn't going to the games when he was coaching under Jimmy Johnson at Oklahoma State in the early 1980s. He was going on the road and scouting the next game. So that rule was implemented. And to be honest, it literally didn't really have anything to do with science stealing, but now it's being used in that regard. And while this rule was established with good intent, the idea of making it more competitively fair for all the teams across college football, I'd argue that it really doesn't do all that much today when teams like Georgia have $80 million football facilities. And I'm not picking on Georgia here. There's a bunch of teams that have spent multiple, multiple, multiples of millions of dollars every single year on their football program and have an unfair advantage when it comes to performance, when it comes to recovery, when it comes to facilities, any of that kind of stuff. Georgia is obviously one of them, and there's a bunch of other schools too. Those schools are opening up against weaker opponents. We're talking about UT Martin, Ball State, schools like that Georgia played this year. So the idea that scouting in person is the unfair advantage that the NCAA is going to stop is just not relevant in today's day and age. These programs are bringing in more money than ever before. So maybe the NCAA ends up throwing the book at Jim Harbaugh. Maybe they throw everything they have at him in the Michigan program and they hit him with everything. After all, it is illegal to do exactly what they are being accused of doing. But the better question is, what can the NCAA actually do? Jim Harbaugh had a bunch of success in the NFL. He was head coach of the San Francisco 49ers from 2011 to 2014. He won Coach of the Year honors in 2011, and he even appeared in a Super Bowl. Another NFL team would scoop him up if he was punished, banned, or suspended immediately. Now, there's this report that came out yesterday from NFL.com essentially saying that the NFL could potentially uphold his suspension and stop him from coaching in the NFL immediately if the NCAA suspends him or bans him or punishes him to some degree. I don't think that's going to happen. Maybe it does, but I don't think there's a bunch of precedents for that to happen. But ultimately, whether it's a year from now or two years from now, Jim Harbaugh would be put on an NFL staff, whether that's as a head coach or an assistant coach or working for his brother or something else like that. He had success in the NFL. He's obviously a good football coach and would get back to the NFL if he was punished, banned, or suspended by the NCAA. Furthermore, one of the other things that no one is really talking about is NIL has essentially emptied the NCAA's toolkit when it comes to punishment. Just think about it this way. The NCAA is notorious for now not wanting to do as much from a postseason ban standpoint when the players that are on the roster did nothing wrong, right? So future players that are coming to Michigan could put them in a position where they can no longer play in the postseason. It's something the NCAA does not want to do. Now, they have done it and they will do it if they need to, but it's something that we're clear and we know that they don't want to do. But when it comes to NIL specifically, two of the other big punishments that the NCAA usually puts into place when something like this happens is a reduction in scholarships. So you lose a certain number of scholarship players. And then number two, a recruitment reduction. So you cannot do certain recruitment activities. Maybe your window of time that you can go out and recruit on is significantly diminished, et cetera. But the fact that there's NIL now, these punishments are much less meaningful when a booster can just offer a player a huge NIL package instead, right? The fact that you would have less scholarship players 
You're able to recruit players through money now. Times have changed. That has ultimately changed the NCAA's toolkit when it comes to punishment. And then the other punishment that they like to intact is a fine. Michigan has a $17.9 billion endowment. That's huge. They could pay any fine they possibly wanted to. So when you add all of that up, the fact that Jim Harbaugh could just go back to the NFL, the fact that NIL has changed college football forever and the scholarship and recruitment reductions are significantly less meaningful when you can just offer a player a huge sum of money through NIL. The fact that Michigan could easily pay a fine. The school has a $17.9 billion endowment. Again, when you add all of those things up, the NCAA suddenly feels much less scary than they did before. Oh, and don't forget, the NCAA notoriously takes forever to complete investigations. Keep in mind, Jim Harbaugh is currently being investigated for a low-level recruiting violation from years prior, and the expectation is that it won't be finalized until 2024. So many people are saying that while this thing is a huge deal today in 2023, it may not end up getting figured out from a punishment perspective until at least 2024 or potentially 2025. But with all of that said, I do think that this raises a bigger question around technology. Now, it's no secret that the game of football has changed a lot over the last 25 years, and virtually every level of football has implemented more technology except college football. Take the NFL, for instance. I've talked to you guys plenty of times about how there are microchips in every player's shoulder pads, and within the football, it tracks their speed, their acceleration, their catch radius, their separation, all of these different things. That data is now being used on Amazon with a machine learning model to track when players might be blitzing, to do a bunch of other things too. It's absolutely amazing from a data perspective how advanced the NFL has gotten. But even just on a base level, literally the most rudimentary level you could possibly think of, players are handed tablets when leaving the field. They can immediately watch film on them of the previous track. They're literally watching the game in essentially real time, just a couple of minutes delayed, right on the sideline. But each player on each side of the ball, offense and defense, also has a radio inside their helmet. That's what the green dot on the helmet signifies. One player, usually the quarterback on offense, maybe a middle linebacker or a safety on defense, has a radio, a one-way communication with the coaches so the coaches can talk to them. This system allows them to communicate directly with the player. In most cases, they're just dictating play calls, so no signals can be stolen. They're literally telling them the play call, and that player is relaying it to the team. If the quarterback is in the huddle, no one else is seeing or hearing it, obviously. They're in the huddle. But they even are allowed occasionally, and they do give them advice. This radio communication cuts off a few seconds before the play clock expires, but coaches are also allowed to give advice to the player while they're talking to them on a one-way communication channel. I have this quote here from David Shaw, who was Stanford football's head coach from 2011 to 2022. But the reason why this is important is because David Shaw also coached in the NFL for the Baltimore Ravens from 2002 to 2005. He says, I know what that feels like. He's talking about the one-way radio communication. He says, I know what that feels like to not just call the play, but to also say, watch out for the corner blitz and then call the play. It's invaluable. So you might say, hey, Joe, why hasn't this trickled down into college football yet? We see things all the time that start at the professional level, they go well, then they get trickled down to the NCAA, maybe even high school, and then vice versa too, right? Some things that go well in high school, and then they go up to the college level, they go well there, they're tested and trialed, and then they make it to the professional level. That kind of stuff happens all the time. So why hasn't it happened with one-way radio communication? Why is there so much more technology on the NFL field and even the high school field than there is in college football? Well, the excuse we have always gotten is the same when it comes to in-person scouting. The fact that not every university can afford it, which may have been true in the past, but the average FBS program today now brings in more than $20 million annually. And most of these headsets can now be retrofitted through technology to add one-way radio communication. It's not nearly as expensive as it was in the past. 
And what I think is ultimately going to happen, my guess, me personally, is that this Michigan investigation is going to accelerate the adoption of this technology at the college level. I think within the next year or two years, 12 to 24 months, we are going to see one-way radio communication implemented in the NCAA. Now, I don't want to take all credit for this. This isn't something that's going to come out of nowhere. The NCAA is testing it this bowl season. This fall, they're going to allow teams. Both teams have to agree to use it and have access to one-way radio communication to one player on each of the ball, just like the NFL does. If both teams agree to use it during the bowl season, they can use it in the game. It's going to be tested. They're going to get feedback, and they're going to determine if they should use it more going forward. Like I said, I think that it was going to probably get approved at some point in the future regardless, but the fact that this Michigan investigation is happening on such a large scale, all sports fans knows about this, but not only do sports fans know about it, the business behind college football has gotten tremendously big. College football has never been more popular than it is today, and these schools, these universities, even the players and the networks have never made more money than they are today. This is a multi-billion dollar business, and billions of dollars are being bet on the games, that this investigation cannot, it cannot threaten the integrity of college football going forward. And it's something that the NCAA, which essentially has just become a hosting committee for other college sports, they need to get this in line and they need to figure out a way to get better technology in the college football landscape. That's it for today, though. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed it, I recently started a new group chat on Microsoft Teams. There's a couple hundred sports business fans in it. We just talk about current events happening in the sports business world. We talk about recent podcasts, recent newsletters, and it's a bunch of fun. So if you enjoy this podcast, if you like my content on social media or just like sports business in general, you should go join it. I left the, the link to go join the chat in the description of this podcast. You can also find it at the bottom of each newsletter. So go join it because I'm going to be doing an exclusive Q&A with subscribers of the group chat. You're going to be able to ask me questions that I will answer on a podcast later this week. So make sure to go join. Again, the link is in the bottom of the description for this podcast. And at the bottom of the newsletter, it says, join my sports business community on Microsoft Teams with a hyperlink. Go to it, join. You're going to be able to ask me questions and talk to a bunch of other sports business fans. Hope everyone has a great day. We'll talk later this week.